Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. This episode is sponsored by my membership community called The Exchange. The Exchange is a membership website that has group practice business development resources. It has pre-recorded trainings every month, live Q&As by myself and three other experts in the field so you can get your one-on-one questions answered, Facebook live trainings, accountability groups, and expert interviews. We've got a ton of resources and new things are added to the library every single month. Learn more and sign up at www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you in there. Hey, everyone. Maureen, we're back here on another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Um, This week, I have Lisa Savage with me, and we're going to be talking today about how to create a seven-figure school-based mental health practice, which I'm super excited to talk about because it's obviously different than what I do. And I love being able to talk to people who are doing things with their group practices that are so different than mine. So, hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Marie? I'm doing well. I was just saying to you before we started recording how fun it is to be able to meet people in Zoom. We're doing video. Obviously, the listeners won't know this, but um, it's really fun to be able to meet the people that I see in Facebook, you know, yeah. chatting it up. So, um, yeah, it's really fun to be able to, to do these podcasts, just even if it's just for the fact that I get to visually see them and talk to them. So exactly. Exactly. thank you so much for coming on the show and being able to um, spread your knowledge on something that I think is pretty cool when it comes to group practice ownership. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your practice and how it came to be? Was it something that you wanted? Did you plan for it to be like this? Was it something that kind of organically happened on its own or was it systemically kind of put together in that sort of way? Well, that's a really good question. So I own uh, a group practice in Delaware, although I live in Maryland. Um, And that happened because um, I got married five years ago. So my husband owns businesses in DC and Baltimore and I own a business in Delaware. So we had to find a central location, which is now Baltimore, but I still commute to Delaware two days a week to run my practice. Um, It's called the Center for Child Development, and it is located in Newark, Delaware, which is a suburb um, in in a very, very tiny state. So I started this practice several years ago. Um, I, I was a young therapist and I didn't really start out initially wanting to see kids. And I think that that probably is not unlike a lot of therapists that we go in and working with kids is really difficult. So I went in wanting to be an adult therapist and then I got a lot of referrals of kids. So my thought was, okay, so I need to meet a need in this state because there just were not, and still are not a lot of therapists that work with children in Delaware Um, because my office is in the suburbs, a lot of the kids that I knew I wanted to work with would not be able to get to my office. Um, again, Delaware is very tiny. Our infrastructure isn't as developed as say where you are in Chicago. So for people to take public transportation to get to me was just, um, was just not going to happen. So my first thought was, okay, let me go see a couple of my kids that I have on my caseload in their schools. And when I did that, Maureen, it just really started to blossom from there. Um, I became known as the school-based mental health person. 
I, I ended up managing two wellness centers in high schools in Delaware. And that's where I got a lot of training on what was important to have as, as components for school-based mental health. So I did that. And then one of the districts, local districts said, hey, you're doing this at the high school level. We really need this at the middle school level. And that was in 2004 that this district um, approached me to start school-based mental health. Um, we didn't have the money to do it like the wellness centers did. The wellness centers were subsidized by the state. Um, the program that I um, ultimately ended up creating, there was no subsidy. So it was all going to be insurance-based. And so that's kind of how I got started. I was a solo practitioner, had no dreams of owning a group practice. You and me both. <laughs> didn't want to manage people, didn't want the hassle. And here I am, 2018, with a staff of 27 people and growing um, and doing something that I just never envisioned for myself. So I want to stop you. Tell, um, for those who don't, can't visualize what it is that you have, can you explain what it, what it is in your practice to be a school-based mental health practice? Do you have physical locations? Are you or are all your clinicians practicing out of the schools themselves? What does that look like? Just for yeah, those that good question. Very good question. Yeah. So we actually have three physical offices, one now in the city of Wilmington, and then we have two offices in um, in Newark where I started, Newark, Delaware. But primarily my therapists are housed at schools. So schools, when they approach us for our services, the, the only thing that we, we ask a couple of things to them, but the biggest thing is we ask for a private space in the school for the therapists um, to provide services. So um, space in schools comes at a premium. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of be flexible and make do. I think that's probably one of the things that I really want to stress to anyone who wants to do this is that um, – it's not often the most cushy job. I mean, literally, when I, my very first school, my office was a closet that they made into an office. Okay. <laughs> I was there for seven years, and, uh, and I made it work. Um, so when you're practicing in schools, you really have to have a lot of flexibility because um, it's new to schools, and schools aren't necessarily built to accommodate extras. They have classrooms, they have nurses' office, main office, but any other extra space just doesn't exist. And because schools are also growing, populations are increasing. Right. Um, so my therapists are placed in schools. A number of them still see people in the office. So they go to the school, maybe, you know, nine to three, whatever the school hours are. And then in the evening, they'll come maybe a couple of evenings a week and they'll see, they'll see adults. We see adults as well um, or children in the office in the evening. Interesting. That's a, that's really cool. I think um, one of the ways, you know, when you think about just the traditional group practice um, is that we're in our offices and a lot of people think like, how can we reach the community during daytime hours or how can yeah. we reach the community um, when our offices are maximized and are being used to, to its capacity? And one of those ways could be, um, you know, similarly doing something like this. So I think it's a really um, not only just unique and it helps the kids out because one, um, they, parents don't have to use after school hours to drive them there if yeah. they don't have cars or if they aren't able to get to the office, they don't, it's uh, one less obstacle that they have to face. 
but also um, it helps like with clinicians who want to work those daytime hours to be able to, you know, primarily be able to see kids, which typically is hard to do um, right. during the day. So that's, yeah. that's really great. Um, yeah. I have a, an aside question with this. Do you bill insurance? Um, so you don't then I'm, a, I'm, I'm making assumptions here, but you don't then charge the school, right? So the school, correct. so you're charging the kid. What do you use? Um, like, a what is it? Code 11 or something? No, code 11 is in office, right? Don't you use a different oh, um, location? Code three. three. Oh, is three school? I think so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So insurances typically pay for that. Good question. <laughs> um, in the beginning, Medicaid almost always paid for the code location being school. Yeah. We had to, um, we had to literally lobby commercial plans to reimburse for services provided in the school. Um, I'm very, very proud to say that I, I led that advocacy for children in my state and it is now illegal for commercial insurances to deny services provided with the location of school. That's awesome. Um, in your state or everywhere? In, well, it, it's in Delaware, um, particularly in Delaware, but I, I, I'm often encouraging people to take up that issue because it is unfair to kids. It's discriminatory. Yeah. And what difference does it make if we have, if we're providing services in our office versus a school? Exactly. And so I was able to lobby successfully and, and our insurance commissioner jumped in and was very supportive and made that happen. Um, nationwide, there is a shortage of therapists who work with children. Yes. And as we know, the mental health needs of kids is not going away. It is increasing. And so for us insurance companies to make another obstacle for parents to get their kids help is not cool. So fortunately in the state of Delaware, they got it and um, we've not had an issue since then. And it's, it's an awesome thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm literally sort of going off script um, because I am coming up with all these questions um, that I assume other people, if they're interested in this would be having. Um, do you, is your paperwork different for in-school setting services versus what you would potentially be giving for clients that come to your office? Yeah. Certain, certain um, things that clinicians or group practice owners should be aware of, making sure that they have. Um, yeah. school-based. Yep. We have what we call the office consent and then we yep. have the school consent. And so, um, I'm trying to think of some, like, I mean, in our, we, we really spell things out in our school consent. So our school consent is probably lengthier than what even makes sense. But we like to be very clear, one, that we don't work for the school. Right. Um, because parents can sometimes get confused. All right. You're at the school, you must work for the school. So we make that very clear. Um, We make it clear the limits of confidentiality, of course, because if a kid confides to us in school that something bad is going on at home that we're going to absolutely tell the administrator. Not unlike what we do in our office, but we make that abundantly clear that in a school setting that all bets are off if there's dangerousness to self or others. Exactly. And we spell out things like the insurance companies that we do accept and the ones that we don't accept. We still collect co-pays, deductibles, co-insurance in the schools. So how do you do that? I'm, I'm assuming it's a little different, obviously, because parents aren't there with cash on hand or anything like that. 
So we require parents to keep a credit card authorization on file, um, giving us permission to charge them after each session. We've not gotten a lot of pushback from that at all. Yeah, we do this. We do similar. I think it's right. becoming industry standard in our, yeah, you know, so, expected. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we do get parents to sign a release of information um, to be able to share. And we're very judicious with what we share with the schools, but we do get them to sign a separate consent. Um, we also have to make sure that our schools are clear that um, just because we have a release of information, we're not going to share things that they don't necessarily need to know. Exactly. But it may be things around, this is what we're working on with this kid or um, or getting parents permission to share um, the results of an assessment, like a Vanderbilt scale with, with the school. So we try to respect our patients' privacy and confidentiality, um, even when we're being hosted in another setting. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, what, are there any unique obstacles or unique considerations that being school-based or doing counseling, uh, school-based counseling has versus what maybe your clinicians were in, in your locate private practice locations have? I think sometimes, um, schools don't understand that we cannot work with kids unless we have a signed consent from their parent. And so there have been times, and I'm not in a school anymore, um, but when I was working in a school, because my presence was known, I was there every day, and I saw lots of kids, sometimes the administrator would come grab me and say, this kid's in crisis, can you help, can you help us out? So how I handle that in the policy of my agency is that we will um, intervene, one, after calling the parent and discussing with the parent that we're not part of the school and that their kid's in crisis. If they want their kid to follow up with us or another agency, we can provide them with that information. But we always have, our policy is always to have an administrator present when we're doing that assessment on a kid in crisis. Um, So we don't intervene unless we call the parent or guardian and we get permission to do a one shot kind of assessment. And then we call the parent back and give them our findings and then make recommendations based on that. Most of the time parents will um, complete our consent and they get it and, and it's convenient and they want their kids to be seen. Um, the other the other things that we run up against are that there are just some issues that should not be dealt with in school. So if a kid has is dealing with some pretty significant trauma, um, and it's acute, then we will recommend that that kid be seen in the office. Why, why is that? Um, because if, you, if you're having a session with the kid and it's, you know, the first thing in the morning and that kid is really emotionally upset and then they have to go back to school, I mean, to class, and we're gone because we're done for the day, we don't want to leave a kid feeling that raw. Um, once, and we do a lot of trauma work in the schools. I mean, we we have a trauma program that we do in the schools, but if it's an acute trauma, we will almost always ask that parent to bring the kid to our office, um, until we can get things kind of under control. Is there any sort of assessment that your clinicians are doing in school in the first session to make sure that the fit is appropriate for school-based counseling versus you know, yep. like acute trauma being uh, outpatient? So what we do is we have, um, we have a team that's, at a, that's assigned to a school. So the team leader is um, a licensed person. 
that person filters all of the referrals that come through. So if it's at school A and there's consent to come through, that therapist will go through and filter what the concerns are. And we also use assessment tools. We do you know, tons of assessments of our uh, potential clients. If we determine that the therapist that's assigned to that school doesn't have the expertise or the experience to work with that kid, we will either send in another therapist um, although that's tricky because we're so busy, or we will have a conversation with the parent and say, you know what, for now, it's probably best that you bring your kid um, to our office. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I want to get to the exciting part of all of this, which is, um, I mentioned it as part of the title, but you have a seven-figure practice mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is primarily doing school-based counseling. Tell us yep. a little bit about Um, what that looks like, because obviously people, um, since that conversation got brought up in, at least in my Facebook group, um, people have kind of gotten surprised that that's even a possibility. Um, and so I, um, I really love that you wanted to focus a little bit on that aspect because, um, it's inspiring and it helps people realize that, um, they might be obviously bigger isn't better. Um, and so if you want to have a small practice with three clinicians, mm-hmm. um, you might not be able to get to a million, um, dollars in revenue, right. but that doesn't make it any worse. Um, so I want to start with that, but yep. for those that like to continue to expand, um, I think it can be really inspiring to see that there there's a possibility because I think people kind of limit themselves in that way. So yeah, yeah. tell us a little bit about your journey in that yeah. sense. Yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah. So several years ago when um, I first started out and I hired my first employee and then I hired you know more people, we had gotten almost to seven figures um, primarily because um, most of our clientele had Medicaid. Medicaid still pays the best in my state um, or on par with commercial plans. Then the bottom dropped out, rates decreased, um, and consequently our revenue decreased. So it's pretty deflating um, and frustrating because we were still working very, very hard. So as life is in, in the insurance industry, things change. We got a new managed Medicaid company in my state and the rates um, aren't as good as the, the other company, but they're better. And so over the course of time, um, we, we continue to expand. We're in over a hundred schools in Delaware. So that's oh, a lot. My gosh. Yeah. We're in a lot of schools. Holy we're in crap. A lot of schools. Uh, I, <laughs> we are. I never even thought of asking that question. I thought like two yeah. or three. <laughs> we're in over a hundred schools. Oh and my so gosh. we are super busy. Okay. So wait, um, uh, this is making me ask another question before I forget. Yeah. Um, so your people are not like full-time sitting in a school. They'll come and do like, they have scheduled appointments with people and they'll come for two to three hours at one and go to the no, next the idea. And yeah. I tell schools this is we don't want our therapist coming and seeing one kid and then hopping to another school. Okay. So the idea is that a therapist is there all day and in some instances, two days a week. Okay. So they're busy. Now one school, a couple of schools recently, and this is crazy, have increased the number of referrals such that we have a therapist at these schools five days a week. Wow. And that gives you an idea of what the need is. Yeah. Um, and and we, we really do carefully screen our kids to make sure that their needs are medically necessary in order to justify billing insurance companies. 
And they are. It's, it's just that the need in the population of children that we serve is um, just overwhelmingly growing. So, like I said, we're at 27 full-time equivalents um, in the practice. And those therapists um, work in the schools, and then they also work in the office because in the summertime, revenue takes a dive because we're not seeing as many people as we are in, in the school year. So that, between us seeing a high volume of clientele, rates increasing, we were able to hit the, the seven-figure mark 2017, which has been phenomenal. Um, and we are on, we're on track to hit it again this year. Like I am obsessed with looking at my bank account, um, looking at my profit and loss statement um, to make sure that, that, you know, we're doing things and we're financially solvent. I, I am insistent that my therapists are not poor. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we've done some changing of um, how they get paid. So we're, we're transitioning from them being paid hourly to them being paid a sal- salary. Mm-hmm. Even though for me, it's a little bit of a risk because in the summertime when there's a decrease in revenue, I still have to pay them. Yes, because where do those people go? If you have three locations, I'm assuming not all 27 can... Correct. So what happens is um, we have partnered with other community agencies. So the Boys and Girls Club, the Girls Club, um, other community centers, because we know in the summer our kids are going someplace. So they're, if they're not in school, they're in camp here, they're in camp there. Yeah. So we partnered with community organizations to be able to come in and provide not only services to what we call our kids, meaning kids that we've already established relationships with, but we also can provide additional services to children who are at these other locations. So we get them consented. We do groups. Um, you know, we may do a group on um, for kids who have been diagnosed with ADHD or kids who have anger problems. Um, you know, kind of typical um, groups for children, and so that helps to decrease the revenue from. Uh, helps to avoid the revenue decreasing too much, but it does. It actually does decrease in the summertime. So for the nine months of school, we're, we're kicking butt. Right. <laughs> um, well, yeah. sort of my, my husband's a, CP, a Chicago public school teacher. Um, oh. And so, you know, same, same in our case, like he gets paid nine months right. of the year and we just right. have to save a little bit out of every paycheck to cover the, yes. the, the, the summer yeah. months and during yeah. um, the holiday, Christmas holiday and, yeah, Easter holiday. Whenever he has like those times off or whatever, Correct. absolutely. Yeah. Because we are we are affected by those breaks as well. Yes. Um. And so we're we're always looking for creative ways to be able to help kids because that's our primary mission to help parents, but also to make money too. Right. Um, you know, that's we we studied hard and we work hard, and, and I don't want my employees to be poor. So my my drive is, of course, to help as many children and families as possible, but also to be able to provide a decent living for the therapists who are working for me. Exactly. I love that. Um, I'm thinking of one other thing that I wanted to um, ask, and I wrote it down as you were talking, just to make sure that I wouldn't forget because my brain goes everywhere, (laughs) Um, is your recruiting process. I wonder how different is it finding therapists who work primarily in the school settings. I was trying to place myself in in your position. um, And... Um, I feel like that my my initial thought is that when hiring people that are going to be working primarily at the schools where I might not be at, 
um, you almost, I would think you need to hire someone that is more independent that you can trust versus let's say someone that's working in the office where you can be there and, Mm -hmm. um, be aware of kind of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. Is there, yes. Okay. Tell me about that. I've had some, um, some negative experiences. (laughs) I I think a lesson that we can all learn as group practice owners is that there's nobody that can have a group practice and not have a negative experience. One, we're learning as we hire people, what, works and what doesn't work and what we need in that. But I think it's also, I like to normalize this part because I feel like, um, group practice owners don't like to talk about it. And then they feel very alone in the fact that they did, you know, hired someone who wasn't a good fit or had a bad, yeah, it's normal. And I I totally have been through all that I have. And, um, and it's hard when that happens because I'm so passionate about what I do and I really want other people to be passionate about it. Um, and sometimes, you know, you bring on someone and they just really want a paycheck and, and that's not a really good feeling. So a change that I've made really recently, like within the past, I would say probably since December, is that um, a couple of changes that we've made is I've added more structure to the practice. So then I have an operations director who's been with me for a long time, a clinical director, and I know you have one. Yeah. I sort of stole that idea from you. Um, And my clinical director is um, Rebecca, who's been with me since the beginning. Um, She's awesome. And then I hired a program manager and I hired a marketing and promotions manager. So I'm not the only one making the decision anymore. So after I do the initial screening, if I feel like this person has the potential of being a good fit, then three of my, what we call the leadership team, they will do a group interview with that person. Yes. And they will really ask that person to really um, sort of prove themselves. Um, They will ask the hard questions, but they will also share the brutal honesty of what it's like to do school-based mental health. And I think you you saying that, um, even beyond um, school-based counseling, one of the things that a lot of group practice owners, I feel like I'm noticing don't do is they don't... um, do the brutal honesty thing. I just did, uh, and it's, it hasn't gone live yet, but I did an interview with Katie Vernoy, who's a recruitment. She helps people like mm-hmm. put their recruitment uh, strategy together so that they hire the right therapist. And she works with people that aren't therapists either, but mm-hmm. she, um, she made a fun, I think funny quote and said like, you need to show your warts and all about your business. Like you can't mm-hmm. keep, um, you can't just make it sound all beautiful because yep. Um, there are a lot of things that you learn about private practice if you've never been in it that you might not be used to. And so, um, making your practice seem only great and that there's like nothing but rainbows and butterflies coming in. Yeah. That's Um, a problem. Yeah. Because they're going to be disappointed, which is then going to make you feel bad and inadequate and like you're not doing the right things. Um, and so I, I love that you're saying that because it's something that I wasn't doing in the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. and over the, you know, past few years have really gotten to a point where I'm as honest as I mentally am aware of, right. so say like, um, it, it will take you a tiny bit of time to yep. grow your caseload. Even though we have a ton of referrals, it doesn't mean that they're all going to want to see whatever your specialty is or whatever. Yep. There's going to be slow times and there's gonna be times where you're overwhelmed. And there's gonna be times where if you're seeing uh, couples that they get, uh, you know, overwhelming and loud and, um, draining. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times if you see kids where parents are just, you know, because either there's a divorce going on where there's all of these ex- external variables happening. And so, um, and, and it's, you know, I'm not an agency. And so it's, although we're very collaborative, um, I hire people that feel comfortable making decisions about their caseload without needing yeah. 
um, to consult on everything. Although we, I, we, I have a clinical director to help. Sure. I want people to be, um, uh, professional enough and, um, experienced enough to be able to know how to handle certain types of crises so that, um, you know, it doesn't affect everyone in the absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I like that you say that because I, I think there's not enough of us that are being honest about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really important to me, um, that level of honesty, because it is it is going to affect people's lives. And if it's a single person, a person who's married or the primary um, breadwinner in their family, you've got to know that there's some downtimes when either insurance companies are paying. And we literally just went through this at the end of the year where insurance comp- one insurance company just wasn't paying because of some changes they were going through. So I try to tell people, this can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try our best to get through it without it affecting us, but sometimes it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, and I think people appreciate that. And then there's no, there's, there's no surprise right. um, when, when that happens because yeah. it can happen. But despite all that, you can still have seven figures. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's great. It's rewarding. It's a lot of work. It absolutely is. Um, rewarding work, but it is a lot of work. And I work a lot. Um, I do. I I put in a lot of hours, even though I may not physically be at my office every single day. Even when I'm not at the office, I am working. Um, I think you and I sound very similar (laughs) in that sense. (laughs) I enjoy it. I really do. And then when I, you know, my husband and I take vacations every year, we go away for three weeks. And and so that kind of gives me that renewal that I need. But when I'm when I'm working, I'm focused. Yeah. Um, and my husband is self-employed, so he gets it as well. He knows what it takes to be a person who's self-employed. That's awesome. So um, in case anyone is interested in getting more help on this, since um, you really know what you're doing clearly on this, um, why don't you give people your contact? Like, how can they contact you or get a hold of you? website or email or anything like that. If anyone is interested in, um, picking your brain or working with you on how to develop their own school-based group practice, um, how can they reach you? Absolutely. And again, this is something that I'm so passionate about. Um, I just really believe in what I'm doing and I think it makes, I know it makes a difference in the lives of the kids and the families that we serve. So if anybody's interested in learning more about, um, how to create a, pra- a school-based mental health practice, they can email me at lisasavage, lcsw at gmail.com. lisasavage, lcsw at gmail.com. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will respond to every single email that I get. I often get people who inbox me. I give away tons of free um, advice, but I do offer a training that's going to start again in April um, that will give people you know, the, the memorandums of understanding that we have with schools, paperwork that we use, um, and all the other nuances that go into building a practice that's school-based. That's awesome. If you can um, also, I don't know if that website is up yet or um, not, but if, if it is, um, set, will you email that to me? Because I Absolutely. can also post that in the show notes. Oh, cool. that yeah. in the future, like, because um, obviously Absolutely. once, um, it'll probably be, Mid mid March, by the time this comes out, um, my so, website will be back up to date by then. I'm having it updated. Perfect. So hopefully, I'll send you the link to my website. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. So, everyone, reach out to Lisa if you are interested in um, learning more about how to 
get into schools, um, yeah. how to yeah. have, yeah. Cause I feel like that is also its own thing. Like, you, one, can, yeah, you can want to do it, but who knows yeah. if they're going to want you to come there. So, um, yeah, please, please, uh, email Lisa. If, uh, if that's something that interests you, I think that's such a great alternative way or additional way of being able to help kids in the community. I think that's really awesome. So thank you so much for having this conversation. I know we talked about this for months and I'm glad we finally were able to do it. Yeah, likewise, Marie. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast.